Bible is open to Ephesians chapter 4. It's a blessing to be here again and uh, to get to know everyone in a deeper way again. It's been a while since we were here. But I'd like to look at, if you look at verse 3, the title of the message here is Endeavoring to Keep the Unity of the Spirit. In other words, brotherhood. And this morning we want to we wanna look at that. And I was thinking about this weekend, the ordination. You know, a part of the ordination here is because of brotherhood and because of the unity that God has called us to. So you're looking for a leader to lead out. And you have three qualified leaders, so why don't they all three lead? How would that go? Um, I'm not sure what that would do for the unity of the body. But there is a part that in an ordination, there is a shift, there is a shakeup a little bit that can create division in a congregation. And so the call here is for all of us to be unified in the body of Christ. And we are looking to God to reveal who the leader is for at this time. We're not, I think we have spoken as a church, they are all three qualified. But we're looking to God who at this time would lead the church. You know the future, God. And so I'm asking the church, I'm asking all of us to rally around the decision that God gives to us tonight. And that we are unified as a body. You know, there are so many divisions in our world today. The battle in the church and in the community. You know, Matthew 24, 10 says, And then shall many be offended, or many shall be tripped and shall betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, I want you to catch this phrase, the love of many shall wax cold. And the word love there is agape. He's talking about a church here. I think there's many of being offended in each other, there's divisions being caused because of the love of many are wax cold. And I think that includes our love for Christ. And that is directly in proportion to our love for our brothers and sisters. And so I think as we look at the subject of unity, we want to look in our hearts. You know, how easily are we offended in each other. It's probably because of our love, first of all, to God, that relationship and our love to each other. And so with many being offended, or many shall be offended, I think it's happening already. This leads to betrayal, hatred. It leads to my own life of self-preservation. I don't want you because I've been hurt. It leads to building walls for protection for myself. It leads to protection from others at the expense of others. So 
again, my question is, divisions, being offended in each other, has to do with, I believe, our love has waxed cold. The Spirit and the Word are here to teach us about the love of God. And I think in being offended in each other, we're missing it. We're missing what God is calling us to a love relationship with Him and then with each other. As we think of unity, we think of Christ's prayer and desire for the church in John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through the word, that they, may, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us. Why? So that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So there is a unity here so that the world may know who God is. Also in Ephesians 3.10 it talks about to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. If you read this verse you see that the manifold wisdom of God is revealed through the church to the principalities and powers. Sometimes we're so narrow-minded, we think about around us. But according to Scripture, it's even much greater than those around us. It's to those principalities and powers that are out there. And so... How important is the unity of the local body or the body of Christ as a whole in the church? I think we miss it sometimes because we are so selfish-minded. We think of ourselves and what I want and what's best for me. And not seeing the whole picture of the drawing together. So my, I guess my plea this morning, my passion is that there would be unity in the brotherhood, in the churches as a whole, so that the world may know who God is. And so that the principalities would know the wisdom of God through the church. And a part of this weekend is a part of that unity, that unifying. You are looking for a leader to you to lead the church here, to at least administrate. I talked about the other night that I'm not a bishop to call a final shot. That doesn't happen. And I believe you as a church operate in administration that we do. You decide together. And I think that's powerful in, as we talk about unity here. We're not playing politics. We don't vote. But we decide together how to do things. And a part of that is to get the picture of the unity of Christ. So as we look at 
the verses here in Ephesians 4, we see that the fruit of the Spirit is evident here. And I want us to all evaluate our own lives as we look at verse 2 is a small verse, but it is loaded. It's a sermon in itself. As we look at ourselves and we look at brotherhood and walking in unity, it says that you are to walk worthy. You're supposed to do this with all lowliness. And as we look at the word lowliness, it means humility. You know, the question is, how do you know that you're humble? Well, probably when you finally say, I'm humble, you probably lose it. But there'll never be unity in the family. There'll never be honor in the family. There'll never be happiness in the family or church until there is humility in the individuals in the family and church. And so he is telling us to walk in lowliness, with all lowliness or with all humility. And then he talks about with all meekness. I don't know how you see meekness. The dictionary actually describes it as being weak. But we know the terms in the Bible of meekness. Somebody described it this way, that meekness is not the destruction of the lion, but it is a taming of the lion. All the strength is there. All the power is there to tear apart, to make something happen. All the energy is there. All the potential is there, but it is controlled by the master. And I believe that is meekness. Being controlled by the master. That energy we talked about, being filled with the spirit, that energy, that power that is here, but it is controlled by the master. That is meekness. It is released by the master. He talks about walking worthy with all long-suffering. It literally means long-tempered. When somebody says something, I don't just blow up. I don't have a short fuse. I don't just lose it. But there's long-suffering there. He talks about walking worthy with all for forbearance, forbearing one another in love. This is the kind of love. The concept of forbear is the words mean to suppress with silence. It's the idea that we have in 1 Peter 4.8, that idea of throwing a blanket over sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. That of, as we know each other, we we grow together. We're not talking about here the covering up of sins. There is not covering up and living on, but it's, it's a, we're talking about relationship here. And so I challenge us to, to look at this verse 2 sometime this week. Apply it to my heart, to my life. 
It's a part of endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. And so we look at the unity of the Spirit. It talks about endeavoring to keep. The endeavoring from the Greek is, is a verb that means to, to work at it or to be in a hurry. Some of us really like this word because it's, it's hurry up and get it done. And that goes along a little bit, you know, let's, let's get her done here. But there, there is that of, of working at it. Now notice it says to keep the unity. We're not talk, uh, talking about making unity here. We're talking about keeping unity. We're all filled with the Spirit as believers, so there is unity there. And let's keep it. We're not manufacturing unity. We can't make unity. It's done through the Holy Spirit. So as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there is unity. And He's telling us to keep it. Again, as we respond out of the Spirit instead of the flesh, there is unity. The, the power is there. Unity comes from who we are, not, not the program. You know, I believe God's desire for unity in the church is so loving. It's invincible. It's unconquerable. Because that is what manifests Christ to the world. And can I get a hold of that? I believe it manifests His wholeness of who God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are. It tells the world, this is not just another human institution. Human institutions cannot pull off this kind of love as the church can in Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we forget how rare unity is in our world. Some of us grew up in an Amish community where you see barn raisings and something happens and there's a group comes together. But when you live in a culture where brothers and sisters don't talk, they live at the end of each other's lane and they won't talk to each other and you have a couple sons suing mom for the farm after dad dies and then not you not only lost your husband but you lost your two sons and and when you see that going on and then they see a group of people working together there's something different about these people and these people are, yeah, they have different gifts, and yet they are working together. They're getting along. There's something different about them. Do, do we have that vision, that picture of what Christ wants? And a part of ordinations and so forth is building that unity so that we can grow in Christ. As we look at verses 4 through 6, you know, there is unity because of the, of the Spirit. It's not something that we make up. And he's encouraging us to keep that. 
we see in these verses that there's one body. Again, relationship. One person stated that most Christians in America do not experience relational, interpersonal church life the way the New Testament describes it. The problems we face today are psychological problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, self-identity problems, financial problems, career problems, loneliness, addictions, phobia, and weakness. And it's interesting that as these people with these struggles go to counselors, what do the counselors do? There's a personal relationship. They, they talk. There's communication. May it be in groups or may it be person on person. Don't we have those answers here in our church? As we interrelate on a personal level. And so as I looked at this, you know, how do I get into financial problems? Maybe I didn't communicate. How do I get into addictions? I think I have isolated myself. How do I get here? Where is the relationships? There's one body. There's one spirit. And we talked about the spirit of God dwelling in us. We are individually the temple of the spirit. But I believe we are collectively also the temple of the Spirit. The habitation of the Spirit. We live in a habitation culture where the Spirit dwells in us. In the Old Testament we see a visitation culture. But we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. There's one hope. There's hope in Christ. There's eternal life. We have one eternal calling. One destiny. We're all, we're all going to the same place. It's not like when one man asked another man of a certain group, he said, so what do you expect in heaven? Well, he said, I think there'll be rooms for us in heaven. No, we've got one destination, one hope, one calling. There's one Lord. And I think Nebuchadnezzar was pretty brilliant in his day when he set up one idol for all his kingdoms to worship. I think Nebuchadnezzar realized that if you serve one God, it somehow pulls you together. And so my question is, as a church, are we serving one Lord? You know, too often I've heard the comments of there can be idolatry in family. There can be idolatry in ministry. There can be idolatry in business. Sports can be idolatry. There can be an idolatry of myself, selfishness, pride, immorality. So, is a computer screen my Lord? Do I have to see every day what's going on? Or am I serving one Lord? And... As a church, you know, that's sort of sure we are. But are we? Who are we serving? Who is important? And do we understand that as we serve one Lord, how that pulls us together? And so maybe we are dividing because we're serving different gods. We're not serving one Lord. 
There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God. There's one Father of all. I alluded to this the other evening, but in unity, I think we need to see the Trinity for who they are. There's something about, there's three, as we look at the Trinity, we see God the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Ghost. And so, so often throughout Scripture, you're not sure, was this the Holy Spirit? Was this Jesus Christ? Or who was it? You know, God is one in purpose, and yet He has three expressions. Persons who perform unique functions. Three persons, but one God. And there's something, do we see any of these competing in the Scripture? Competition for positions. We don't see power struggles in these three. We see a God, we see a trinity of love. God is love. And there's something interesting about our God. It says in 1 John that God is love. And in order for him to be, to be love, there had to be a relationship. And so we look at eternity past and we see the Trinity. There was always love. There was a relationship. And there always will be love. I preached a series of eternity messages on eternity in our at our church and you know we look at at hell we see the temporary hell of Hades we see the lake of fire Gehenna that burns forever we see in Revelation where hell death and hell are cast into the lake of fire being the second death we see heaven we see New Jerusalem and then we see also in Revelation 21 about this, this new Jerusalem, and I was sharing last night, you know, I struggled some as a builder and a visionary of this, this new Jerusalem being 1,400 miles long width and height. Now that's big, and I think we could all fit in there, but I don't like to limit God. Well, it does tell us that the gates are open. And so I don't think we're going to be limited to this city. And it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. What all are we going to be touring this new heaven, all the galaxies and so forth? I don't know throughout eternity. But what I'm, what I'm getting at here is that what will I be doing in eternity? What, what, you know, there will be so much to see, but I think our main focus will be on, on God because we've already begun that relationship. But there is an indication of that how we live or our position, at least in the thousand-year reign and maybe for eternity, will depend on how we live our lives today. Now, when we look at that, right away, we tend to go on the work side of, of living. Let's not go there. And there's something about positions and power 
that I think we have seen around us that we don't like to see position and power. But now let's look back at the Trinity. And I think that's how it will be in eternity. And why can't we start that today? We don't see competition in position. And so whoever is ordained as your leader tonight, the other two pastors will continue on in their position. And my prayer is that they will continue on like the Trinity continues. That they will fulfill their roles and continue to bring people to Christ in their different roles. And so if you're a car parker or an usher, I have heard of ushers and car parkers bringing people to Christ because of their relationship to the people that they meet. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a pastor, that position, can we see the view of the Trinity of how they work together? And so Silver Lake may be the car parkers, may it be the ushers, may it be the Sunday school teachers or the song leaders, all bringing people to Christ and people walk in here. Well, we're not sure who's here, but we see God. Can we get that vision, that picture, as we look at, especially this, this weekend, of, of these different positions? And so often, I have looked at eternity. We're going to be this when we're there. We're going to do this. Eternity has already begun. Why don't we start doing this and that now in our lives? I'm afraid if we wait till eternity, I think we're going to be disappointed. The relationship with God, knowing God now. And then we see the gifts of Christ in Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. These gifts and offices, I believe, center on the truth of God and Christ and the gospel of men and women of truth. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he says, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of the tongue. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And he goes into 1 Corinthians 13. Why did God, why did Christ give us gifts? I mean, if there's unity, why didn't he make Dathan and Robbie and Laverne all the same, you know? And why aren't they all like Wayne? So that we're all one. 
let's look at the scripture here. Verse 12 talks about, He gave these for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of fullness of God. So we see there's a perfecting here for the purpose of maturing and equipping the saints. So as we look at who Christ is, I'm not sure that any one of us can be an example of who Christ is. We all have different gifts. And I tell people that after I got married, I learned a little bit more about the emotions of God, something that I never really saw before. And I think that's what we have here as different gifts, but when they all come together, you see a bigger picture of who Christ is. Because we can't all represent Christ alone. Because I'm human. But with all the different gifts of Christ here, as they pull together, we see a bigger picture of who Christ is. Can you get the picture of that? And so I get excited about that. But I'm afraid that the devil uses those differences to destroy us. And so if we look at the differences and say, well, he's different or she's different than I am. She's odd. He's odd. No, she's a part, she has a part of Christ. He has a part of Christ that I should learn from. And we pull that together and we see a bigger picture of who Christ is. And can we get that vision that we need each other so that we can see a more complete picture of Christ? That's why he gave different gifts is what he's saying here in Ephesians. As we see the work of the ministry, the service of relationship, the strengthening of the body. So when I drive down the road, as I grew up a builder ever since I was nine years old, I've staked off houses out in the middle of nowhere. And so I drive down the road, I see buildings that are positioned in a weird way. I wonder what were they thinking? I drive down the road and I see the siding on that house. And I see the, the shingles and, you know, what were they thinking in those colors and so forth? With having a CAD system and designing some of my own houses, I, I take notice of those things. My brother-in-law is a concreter. He'll drive down the road. He'll see the concrete in the driveway. I never saw it. Isn't that a little bit how it is in the church? You know, I have a, a brother coming up to me and saying, Wayne, our church needs more encouragement, more encouragers. Well, you know what? I didn't really think about that. But now that you say something and you noticed it, I think God is telling you to step up to the plate. Too often I have, we have young people coming up and saying, we wish our church would do this and wish would do that. And they jump ship. Well, maybe it's God telling them that step up and fill it. Do it. And I think in a spiritual way, as I notice the siding and things in the house and somebody notices the driveway and so forth, 
in the church, one person notice this, one person notice that. The work of the Lord gets done in a unified manner. And can we get a hold of that? We're all a part of a building to bring us together in faith and knowledge of the Son of God. That of a unity of trusting and knowing God and having fellowship with God. I believe the text is clear here that God gives you gifts to build the church. He gives others gifts to build the church and also to help build my life. And so, as I look at Ephesians 4.14 here, there's something about being joined together by God that we henceforth are no more tossed about, that ye henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into him all things which is ahead, even Christ. The complete Jewish Bible in verse 16. Under his control, the whole body is being fitted, held together by the support of every joint with each part, working to fulfill its function. Again, look at the Trinity when you think about this verse with each part working to fulfill its function. This is how the body grows and builds itself in love. So the aim of your ministry as a Christian is to build the body as a whole so that the world, so that the principalities may see who God is. The body grows by connectedness. They are joined. They are knit. And I think that's, there's a lot of communication happens. There's a lot of talking happens. You know what? That takes some time. That takes some effort. He said, endeavor to keep the unity. There's some work there. And I believe... Growth happens through the points of contact. Corporate building happens through connectedness. And as churches, there is something that we are connected here with Silver Lake. Because there's a connectedness as a whole, as a body. What happens here at Silver Lake affects Cornerstone. We care about what happens here. And I hope you care about what happens at Cornerstone. That of being together. There's that supply of truth and love. And again, how can I extend love and forgiveness to others if I don't receive it myself? Have I accepted what we heard in our Sunday school, that love of Christ and that forgiveness. So in conclusion here, 
I would like to leave you with the verses here and my prayer for the congregation here at Silver Lake in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that we would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, you're not offended easily, but you're being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that he might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Shall we stand? God, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit, for the power of Christ that can work in each one of us. And I pray, Lord, that we would get a vision of the building of the church, of being together and revealing who Christ is through our diversity of gifts. God, I pray that we would get a picture of how the Trinity works together and so that what happens here this weekend would only be a stepping stone of growing closer to you. May the community and all around see the work of Christ in our hearts as individuals, in our hearts as a collective body, so that your name would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.